Are you ready for Christmas? Have you... Let me see. Let me be careful here. How many men have not finished their shopping? Would you stand, please? No, 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 no. You shouldn't have done that. Okay. How many ladies here have yet to finish? Okay, there are a few. There are a few. How many of you are traveling somewhere uh, during the holiday to be with family that's not here? So a lot of you, okay. Drive carefully or fly carefully. If you're flying, there's, you know, nothing you can do except just be there. But uh, travel safe. This will be a a great week to reconnect and to reminisce, to to celebrate. And that's part of what Christmas is about. We've been looking over the Sundays of Christmas, and we call them Christmas 1, 2, 3, and 4 because we... We morph off of and we kind of arrange our own Christmas celebration as Baptists, especially in our church. The liturgical year, the church calendar uh, specifies certain scriptures to be read and certain candles to be lit and the season will be called Advent uh, and that's, that's a great word to use because that means the coming of the Savior. But we've been looking at these Sundays of Christmas, lighting candles and remembering the important events in the birth concerning the birth of Jesus, we've been talking about some pictures that God gives to us of His Son. Remember, photos are those things where you can capture what a person looks like. Those aren't the kind of pictures I'm talking about. Those aren't the kind of photos that God has given to us in His Word. We're going to travel next Sunday afternoon and gather with family on my side. It will be a a Hatfield, Gill, that's my mother's maiden name, extended family. We're going to meet down at my sister's in Arlington and have a celebration with that, my side of the family. And my sister Gracie has requested that we send uh, digital pictures. She's going to put them in some type of gallery or something to show on uh, a screen, TV, something. And she's informed me that I don't know what I'm doing about sending pictures. That's what she told me. Uh, I haven't been sending them in the right format. I haven't sent them big enough or they're not dense enough. They are pixelated, she said. And if someone would define that word for me, I would be grateful sometime. But she is, uh, has written me back, and once again, I have, have just marveled at the amount of photos of pictures that I have on a laptop computer, and I don't have near as many as some of you do, I know. Maybe I have more. Uh, a mix of videos, homemade videos, you know, home shot uh, with a little high-definition video camera, and just pictures we've taken with digital cameras, yes, but now you can take your phone, your iPhone, if you have a, a, a smartphone, it's called, and it can be any of a number of kinds, that you can just be wherever you are and pull your phone out and take a very, very high-quality picture. Pictures everywhere. Well, we'll get it right. 
And, <laughs> excuse me, I look forward to seeing pictures from the past and recent pictures of all of our family. Those pictures can't compare to the ones we have of Jesus. For they tell us not what he looked like, remember. They tell us what he did, who he is, what he has done for us. We want to look at one additional photograph, one additional picture this morning on this fourth Sunday before Christmas, the final Sunday before the 25th of December. As I was looking through and trying to identify these pictures in God's Word, I wouldn't have picked this one out. It doesn't seem to me as though it would meet the criteria that the other three have. We had one where we have Jesus pictured in the manger scene, wrapped in a swaddling cloth, where we're told that He is the Savior of the world. We have another where we find Jesus when He is just a matter of a few days old, being brought to the temple, and an elderly prophet, a senior adult prophet named Simeon, came and just grabbed Jesus, the baby, out of the arms of his mom and dad and held him up and drew a picture for us, talking about this child and the many, many different ways he would affect people, that he would be the savior of many and he would be a stone of stumbling for others. And then we looked at a third picture. It seemed very clear to me that when you have these wise men, these magi, however many there were, let's just go ahead and go with tradition and say there were three kings. They gather and they find Jesus led and guided by a star. And they see the child. And they acknowledge him with their gifts and by their adoration and worship of him that he is the king of kings. Those are three pictures. The fourth one is in the Gospel of John. The first chapter of John's Gospel is John's telling of the Christmas story. But you have to be, you have to be a little imaginative here. Because basically we have four Gospels, four accounts of the life of Jesus found in our Scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Christmas story is found, as we are familiar with it, in two of those four Gospels. Matthew chapter 2 recounts the birth of Jesus and the visit of the wise men. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, that is the classic telling, the classic conveying of the birth of Jesus. In those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and on and on. We've see the shepherds and the angels, and we read from that passage, and we will read from it as the Christmas season carries on. But it's Mark's gospel, the second gospel, that doesn't say anything about the birth of Jesus. Go check me out. When Mark begins his story of the life of Christ, Jesus is 30 years old. And he is approaching John the Baptist and asking John to baptize him in the River Jordan. It's as though Mark is so so much in a hurry to get the facts out that he just moves past the very birth of Jesus and gets right to the point of when Jesus is ministering to the world and walking the path that would lead him to the cross. 
I don't think it's any mistake that Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. He is only 16 chapters in length. Matthew is 28 chapters. Luke is 24 chapters. John is 21 chapters. But Mark, only 16 brief chapters. He wants to, he wants to get the word out quickly so people will put their trust and their faith in Jesus. So it's John. He's the only other one that talks about the birth, but his version of the Christmas story is not what we would expect. I think he takes a picture in the first four verses of the moment of conception. Read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You say, well, wait a minute, Stephen, this, this sounds a little unusual. The the name Jesus isn't even mentioned here. That's true. And when you say that this is a picture from the moment of conception, what do you mean? Well, if you have had anything to do with the birth of a child, if you are a parent or a grandparent or you maybe work in the health industry, you know what a sonogram is. It has been greatly perfected in these days. And most of the time, they are correct when they tell you that the child is a boy or a girl. Most of the time. Sometimes they're wrong, and they don't know. But most of the time, they're, they're pretty accurate. We saw a sonogram of our children early on. It was one of Marcy's first visits to the doctor when we knew we were expecting a child. And they put that instrument, and however they made that picture come on that screen. It, it looked fuzzy in one instance, and then as they would point out and show you, you could see literally that tiny life right past the moment of conception, the life that was being nurtured in the womb. In the beginning was the Word. You see, John's designation for Jesus is Word, capital W-O-R-D. There's no mistaking his meaning. All the way through his 21 chapters, he will refer to Jesus by his given name, Jesus, yes. He will talk of him as being Lord, and he will refer to him as being King. But he begins here by telling us something that we cannot miss. That when we think of the moment of conception in the life of Jesus, it was not when the Holy Spirit came to the Virgin Mary and she became great with child. But the moment of conception is when he said, in the beginning, a parallel to the very first opening words of the Bible itself in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, John gives us a picture that tells us that from the very outset, from the very beginning of time, God intended to bring us back to Him. He intended from the very outset for there to be a Savior. For Jesus to be the one who would redeem us, who would bring all things back into their proper perspective. The scripture is very clear to tell us that this word, Jesus, was there at creation. That everything that exists was created through him. Don't miss this picture. The moment of conception of God loving his people did not begin 2,000 years ago with an angel speaking to a young virgin. But the moment of conception is when we go all the way back to the beginning. And how many people in their writings, how many intelligent philosophers tried, have tried time and time again to move all the way back through eternity. And they always hit a place where they can't go any farther. They can't They can't break through. They can't see anything else. But then John makes it so easy. And he says, I walk back through the passage of time. I walk back through eternity. And I see the Word. I see Jesus. That's the moment when God conceived His great love for you and me. That's the moment of conception. It's a a fuzzy sonogram maybe to some of us. But if you go back and read it and allow God's word to speak to your heart, you'll see it's very clear. His baby picture then that I would compare to to the other pictures we've seen in Scripture does not come until chapter 1, verse 14. This is where we know that He has identified Jesus as the Word, capital W-O-R-D. Because he says in John John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The baby picture. This is John's way of summarizing what Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20 describes so eloquently. This is John's way of summing up what Matthew chapter 2 spends several prophecy lessons from the Old Testament explaining to us in that chapter. The word became flesh and lived among us. Now, what does this mean for us today? Folks, if we take a look at the pictures that God has given to us, we've got to draw some conclusions. We've got to, just like we look at those pictures and go, ooh and ah and how cute and how precious and how the baby looks like this relative or that relative. We look at these combined pictures of Jesus and we can summarize some things. Consider the following. Jesus did not come to this earth to give us a sentimental holiday. I don't want you to take me wrong. I don't want you to think that I'm the Grinch who doesn't like to celebrate. I like to celebrate just as much as anyone else. I like gifts as much as anyone else. 
probably more than most people in this room. I love gifts. But Jesus did not come. The moment of conception when God revealed through his servant John that in the beginning was the word that Jesus has been since the beginning of time. And his purpose has been to redeem us. Jesus did not come to this earth to give us a holiday that we can find a lot of sentiment. But Jesus came, what? He came to save us from our sin. Think about it. He didn't come to bring us warm and gushy feelings. He came to save us as sinners who have turned away from God. Jesus did not come to this earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. That didn't happen because we are nice people. Jesus broke into the world. He came into this world as Emmanuel, God with us, because we are lost people. And without his coming, we could never be found. That means that Christmas is, it is the holy day. It's not just a holiday. That's what God's Word tells us. That's what these combined pictures of Jesus illustrate for us. That if we allow Christmas to become a holiday and nothing more than a season of greetings and a season of happiness and a season where we feel generous because we're supposed to, then we've missed Christmas as the holy day. From the very moment when time began, the moment of the conceiving of an idea to save creation. That's why Jesus came. That's what these pictures tell us. So, remember, we've got we've got all these pictures, Savior and King. He's described as light to a darkened world. And today we see that he is the Word. He is the very Word, the very revelation of God since the very beginning, since creation. He has been. So how do we keep these pictures? Let me see. If we can keep them in balance here. If we can just, if I could just reach over here and let me see. How's that? Okay. I'm just going to stand here forever. Okay. I've got a rotator cuff problem over here right now, I can tell. But wait a minute. How can we... How can we keep up? Okay, here we go. Balance that here. Take this one here. This ought to do. Let me see. All right. We've got... Four pictures of Jesus. Now they 
they can be seen unless you're sitting up there. Think about them for a minute. That first one we looked at, Savior. Jesus coming to this earth wrapped in a swaddling cloth. The picture tells us that this baby who is found in the manger of Bethlehem is the Savior of the world. Doesn't tell us what he looked like. Tells us who he is, what he's done for us. He indeed is our Savior. We find that when Simeon in the temple held Jesus before his mom and dad and began to make those pronouncements about him, he mentioned Jesus being light, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon said. But he meant much more than that. He meant that Jesus was to be the light of revelation, not only to the Gentiles, but in saying that, he meant to the entire world. Now think about that picture for just a minute. Think, just glance at that canvas that that illustrates light in the midst of darkness. And then consider why we do what we do at Christmas. Here's a thought. Why is Christmas on December the 25th. The early church, as best we can tell through church history, they didn't care about affixing a date to the birth of Jesus for one simple reason. They didn't feel that the world would continue for very much longer after his birth, especially after the cross, the Roman Empire bearing down upon Christians. They felt that the end of the world was at hand. And the last thing they were concerned about was, when are we going to talk about and celebrate the birth of the King of Kings, of Jesus the Christ? But then as time went on, people began to see that this world might last a little longer than just the generation that followed Jesus. And so... Those who were in charge of giving us the information that we needed began to scramble and begin to put together the best time frame and the best time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And there were several different theories, history tells us. But it came down to this. December the 25th, according to the Roman calendar, was the celebration of of one of the greatest pagan festivals known to man. The festival of the sun. He was given a name, Mithra, M-I-T-H-R-A. And the celebration that began on December the 17th, according to the Roman calendar, and lasted for many days through the 25th of December, was the most extravagant, most talked about, most highly touted, celebrated Super Bowl, if you will, of the Roman Empire, greater than any of the games that they put on, greater than the Olympics that the Athenians had instituted centuries before. It was the birth of the sun and the continued life of the sun that was celebrated. It was huge. You see, in... Mid-December, end of December, what happens 
in the cycle of the sun. The days are increasingly shorter. We call it the winter solstice. Solstice means when the sun stood still, literally. And in the pagan mind, they celebrated this festival of the sun at the darkest time of the year when the days were increasingly shorter and they felt in their own mind, now put yourself in this mindset, that if it keeps on going, the sun will go away forever and never come back again. And so what did they do? They worshiped the sun and they gave offerings and they gave gifts to one another, helping coax the sun as though he had a personality to come back so that the days would get longer. History tells us that those who chose December the 25th to celebrate the birth of the Christ child did so intentionally because this was their rationale. What is the greatest festival that pagans celebrate? It's the festival of Mithra. It's the festival of the sun. What a better time to commemorate the birth of the Son of God who brought light to a darkened world. Let's just go head to head with the festival of Mithra, with the festival of the sun. Let's just celebrate. That's the most popular festival in the world. We'll come and say we celebrate the birth of the King of Kings at the same time. That's why we have it on December the 25th. If that's a shock to any of you, get over it. That's just the way it is. That's the way it happened. There's no date given in the Scriptures. There is no way to tell from scriptural evidence the exact day, even the month when Jesus was born. The season had to be far removed from December because of the the fact that it was a manger filled with hay. The time of the year, the starlit sky, the shepherds watching their flocks would hint towards springtime. But we look at the picture of the light. Why are candles such a big deal at Christmas? Why do we make a big deal of lighting candles? Why on Christmas Eve are we going to spend most of our time building up to the lighting of candles? For that same reason. Christmas happens at the darkest time of the year, literally. And though we know better, And though we're so much more intelligent than those people 2,000 years ago who were afraid the sun would go away and never come back again. And what were they to do? It lifted their spirits when they brought candles into the celebration. It was more than just to be able to see. It dispelled the darkness at that time of year and gave them hope. And so the picture says, Jesus is a light of revelation to all people. He has come at the darkest time of humanity and we celebrate his birth and we go head to head with the most popular festival of the year and it turned out to be a very wise decision. I guess the question would be, how about our going head to head with certain things in life today? Do we do so well as Christians? Are we winning out? Does the cause of Christ mean more to us than other celebrations? And then look at that third one. It's up here top left, the crown. That was that picture from Matthew chapter 2 when 
the Magi came to visit the king of kings. Once again, back in that day and time, it was so amazing because you had a Roman emperor. And remember, you had a son that was worshipped as a god. The son had a personality. He even had a name of Mithra. And here, the wise men, guided by the light of a fantastic star, laid their gifts and bow before this child because he is the king, capital K, of all kings, of all rulers. Beginning to make sense. Well, surely this last one does then. I mean, that's the one we just picked up on out of John 1. The Word, pages of Scripture to remind us that the Word of God, the capital W-O-R-D, is a person. It is the living, breathing Son of God, King of kings, light to a lost and darkened world. He is the Savior of all. He is the Word. But surely you won't miss what I apparently did miss. That in my desire to keep everything straight, in my desire to show you everything, all these four pictures, they're a big deal. They're the only four pictures we have of Jesus in all of Scripture. This is what God has given to us. We dare not ignore it. And in order to keep them before you, I sit here and try to balance them? No. I found something to hang them off of, something to attach them to. And that something is the most important something of all. What is it? What is it? A cross. Because now do you not see that these four portraits, these four pictures of the Lord Jesus are perfectly framed when they're seen in light of His cross? I mean, look how they, look how they appear now. I may have thought that I was just finding something to hang them off of, to attach them to, so I wouldn't have to bear the burden of showing them to everybody. I can't do that. And I, I found some wood that looked like it would provide a place to display them. But no, I didn't just find some wood here. But we see embedded in these four portraits of Jesus, the very cross that he would bear. For to be our Savior, he would have to die on that cross. To be a light piercing the darkness that light would have to suffer and be extinguished, it might appear, for three days in the tomb. To be the king of kings. This king of all kings suffered and bled and died and sacrificed his own life that we might live with him. And this word... This revelation of God, it's bound to the cross of all the miracles that we find God doing in His Word, of all the power and the majesty and the might He has so chosen to lift high this cross. So all of these pictures, when they're framed within the cross, we see them in their true beauty. Now do you see why it's a holy day? And not just a holiday. 
Now do you see why Jesus didn't just come into this world because we're good, but it's because we've sinned, because we need a Savior? Jesus loves us. This we know. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to to look at who you are and what you've done for us in light of the cross. And Father, it's our prayer that we see Christmas through these pictures. We see them framed perfectly against the cross, the cross of Christ. It's in his name we offer our prayer. Amen. What about you and me? What about decisions and choices that we need to make today? We offer an invitation this morning, an opportunity for you and me to make decisions, make choices that can affect the rest of our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're without Christ. You do not know him. Maybe you've heard of him. You've read the stories. You may think, well, I come to church, therefore I must be a believer. But make no mistake, the choice of salvation is a decision that you make. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, it's not enough to just acknowledge his existence but to understand that your sin put him on that cross and to ask him to forgive you, to come into your life, to become a believer, a child of God. That's what I'm inviting you to do. And we'll be waiting down here in the front. Ministers, deacons will be standing here to pray with you, to help guide you, to counsel you. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord just had never told anyone, never professed your faith in him. Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism. Those decisions, important decisions, you can make today. Maybe God would lead you to join this church, the First Baptist Church in Louisville. If that's what God is leading you to do, if you're here as a single adult, we welcome you. We have a place for you. You're here with your family. We welcome you. We have a place for you. If that's what God's leading you to do, we'd invite you to come and join this church today. But then maybe in gazing at these four pictures, these frames, maybe sensing how they appear framed by the cross. Maybe that would convict you of something you need to do. Maybe it would convict you of something you need to quit doing in your life. Just going through the motions of a holiday? Or will you leave this place acknowledging that this is truly a holy season? That's our invitation. We stand together. We ask you to respond and come forward right now as we sing.